Christ Jesus our Lord. Our help is in the name of the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Come, let us worship in spirit and in truth. Let us pray. Almighty God, on this day you opened the way of eternal life to every race and nation by the promised gift of your Holy Spirit after Christ was raised from the dead. Shed abroad this gift throughout the world by the preaching of the gospel, that it may reach to the ends of the earth through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen. Our first hymn is number 394, This Day at Thy Creating Word. God has prepared for those who love him. He has revealed to us through the Spirit that which he has prepared in Jesus Christ, because the Spirit searches everything, as Scripture says. Therefore, let us in penitence open our hearts to the Lord, who has prepared good things for those who love him, and let us confess our sin and admit who we are and how we depend upon his grace. Let us pray together. Father eternal, giver of light and grace, We have sinned against you and against our neighbor in what we have thought, in what we have said and done, through ignorance, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault. We have offended you and marred your image in us. We are sorry and ashamed and repent of all our sins. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, forgive us all that is past and lead us out from darkness to walk as children of light, 
by the grace of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand for the assurance of pardon. There is therefore now no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. I declare to you as a minister of the gospel that all those who have faith in Jesus Christ and do repent of their sin are truly forgiven of all their sin. This is the good news of the gospel. Let us say together, praise be to God. Christian people, the apostolic teaching is, put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgives you. You can become self-righteous when someone, or we can become self-righteous when someone sins against, against us. Self-righteousness sees the wrong that others do, but does not see the wrong that we ourselves do. So it's, it's the, the old uh, line about pointing the finger at, at others and not really being aware of our own wrongdoing. The self-righteous person justifies himself, but he's quick to find fault with others. As a pastor, I have found that many times the problem that we have with other people is the very same problem we struggle with. We actually are, it's acute to us. We're very aware of it because we struggle with it, and therefore we see it much more easily in other people. Hatred, bitterness, uh, and resentment nurtured on past injuries mars and distorts the mind and heart of people and contributes to the cycle of evil in the world. The gospel teaches us to be merciful and forgive in the midst of sin. So even when we are struggling with our sin and aware of these particular problems we have, we must be willing to forgive according to Christ. But Jesus Christ has filled us with the Holy Spirit. This is not something that we do out of our own energy, our own strength, our own ability. If you've ever tried that, you know it's extremely difficult if you've truly been hurt by someone. It's out of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God that we're able to do that. And Jesus Christ has filled us with the Spirit who gives us the grace to confess our own sin and forgive others. Brothers and sisters, when someone sins against you, do not be self-righteous, but forgive them as you are forgiven by Christ. This is God's will for us in Jesus Christ. And let us say, Amen. Our next hymn is number 330, Holy Spirit, Dispel Our Sadness. Oh, great. 
Please join with me as we bring our petitions to our Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, mighty God, blessed are you who created all things with the Holy Spirit, who moved upon the waters of creation and breathed life into man, who anoints your people with Christ's gifts, and who is the promised comforter, the first fruits, and the sanctifier of the new creation of your salvation. And now we give you thanks for your eternal Son, Jesus Christ, who has ascended into heaven and has given to us the Spirit that was promised long before. We have received the seal of our redemption in Jesus Christ, the guarantee of our inheritance, the comforter, all these these names that are used for the Holy Spirit in Scripture. We thank you for the Spirit who makes us alive in the new creation as your holy people. And so now we pray to you, most holy Lord, with the privilege of your children who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Almighty Lord, we pray for Joe Biden, our president, for our representatives and senators, Debbie Stabenow, Gary Peters, our governor, Gretchen Whitmer, and all those who do govern and rule over us. Grant us government that protects us and makes wise decisions. We make petitions for the justices of the Supreme Court and all the courts of this land that they make that they would make judgments in conformity with your goodness and with truth and with justice. And may there also be safety and the end of hostilities in Ukraine that our nation will know how to help the people there. Hear our prayers. Father, we pray for Christ's beloved church throughout the world, those whom we join together and who sing your praise with one voice. We pray that you would lift up the heads of those Christians who are beaten down and who mourn. We pray for the churches and the Christians who are being persecuted. Hear our prayers. We ask for your grace for the missionaries of our church, especially today we remember Mark Richline and his family. 
in Uruguay, and we pray their weakness, that, that as their weakness is apparent and they become sick in body or they do not understand everything, do not always know what to say, <coughs> yet may the grace and power of our Lord Jesus Christ be ever strong as they work with the churches where they are proclaiming the gospel. We pray for our foreign missionaries. We thank you for the free work of your spirit in our church, that your spirit is not limited, but is free to work as he wills. And we pray for the continued growth of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. We pray for compassion and humility and the determination of our session and Presbytery and General Assembly to wisely guide the church. Most of all, grant to the OPC the ability to act in love for the whole church, to humbly regard its own position, and to understand our own biases and weaknesses. Hear our prayers for the OPC. And now we raise to you our prayers for those in need in this church and those who are on our minds. Bless us with your grace. For the restless to know the rest of Christ, the fearful to receive peace, the sick to be made well, those who give care to receive patience and encouragement. Here are prayers to this end for Fawn and Bob Bartoski and Eduardo, for Terry, for Jeff and Linda, for our friends Scott and Becky, Bill, Phil, Tom, Paul, Karen, Mrs. Mesner, Chris Barker, and others we name to you in silence. Merciful Father, heal them and comfort them in body and soul and keep their faith in Christ at all times. We pray that we may interact with students at Lawrence Tech in the fall and that the way would be made open for us to um, have an abiding presence there. May more and more people be set free in the community around us to have faith in Christ and to love and serve you. With confidence, our prayers ascend to you since the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us. And we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us present our gifts and offerings to the Lord.
please stand as we pray, dedicating the offering with the prayer in the bulletin. All gifts are so yours, O God, and are your own and have given you. By the leading of your spirit, may we remember to you that which you desire most, even in our whole body, heart, mind, and will, in loving and grateful service. As we prepare to hear God's word read and preached, we pray our prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Father, your words are light and life to us. Shine now your light upon us. Illuminate our hearts so that we would see Christ in our minds and our affections and our hopes would be set upon him. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. The first reading is in Acts. The book of Acts. Chapter 2. When the day of <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were mocking and said, They are filled with new wine. 
But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they will prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And now our Psalter response in the bulletin. <clears throat> o Lord, how manifold are your works! The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable. Living things, both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you form to play in it. These all look to you to give them food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created. And you renew your face on the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Who looks on the earth and it trembles. Who touches the mountains and the smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him. For I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth. And let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. We turn now to our epistle reading in Romans. Chapter 8, beginning in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? 
But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Our gospel reading in John chapter 15. Proceeding through into chapter 16. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you who keep, to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take away that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The word of the Lord. Pastors are faced with it all the time. It frequently happens to pastors, and it does to you as well. What to say in the face of the crises and appalling troubles in this world? 
What do you say to the spouses of the people shot and killed in the recent shootings in Buffalo, New York, and Uvalde, Texas, and Tulsa, Oklahoma? Or to the parents of the children who were killed? What do you say to them? Nothing really makes up for the murderous evil that took place. Good theology is important. It's necessary. So are words of compassion like, sorry for your loss. No matter how brilliant and right our explanations are, We want to say more, but we don't have the words. A few weeks ago, I received the tragic news that the wife of a PCA pastor I know in another state committed suicide and left behind two young children. She had been dealing with depression. Her husband even resigned from his position at the church there and decided to take a hiatus from the ministry to take care of her full time. And nevertheless, she ended it. What do you say to the husband who knows all the right theology, he's a sharp guy, but is overwhelmed with sadness and the loss of his wife? And what will he say to his children as they grow up without their mom? What would you say to them? I remember when I visited Arlington National Cemetery, I've been there several times, but when I see it, those hundreds of thousands, I looked it up, there are about 400,000 graves there, hundreds of thousands of soldiers who Uh, defended this country. And many of those who survived the conflicts they were in saw their buddies killed or blown up. They were shot while they patrolled the streets of cities in order to maintain some level of safety. Now they're haunted with terrors and memories of carnage. What do you say to them? Thank you does not feel like it goes far enough. This year, Russia bombarded Ukraine and rolled in their destruction because the leaders of Russia believe it has the right to restore its borders to what they once were. And even the patriarch of the Russian Orthodox Church supports Russia's claim to Ukraine. Thousands of civilians have been killed. This is since, what, February 23rd. Thousands of civilians have been killed. Thousands more have lost their homes and towns and cities are just ruined. What do you say to the survivors, especially when one church supports the Russian aggression. I've met people or their parents who have lived through some of these kinds of horrors. What do you say to them? And it doesn't have to be so global. What do you say to the woman down the street who not long ago left her husband? They rubbed against each other for so long that the wound was open and raw and they didn't want to be near uh, each other anymore. What do you say to the embittered old man who has seen a lifetime of disappointment and failed promises? What do you say to the family of a girl who died in a car accident? What do you say to them? Words fail us. Satisfying answers fall short. We hardly know what to say about so many things in our present world, let alone the age to come. Well, the Apostle Paul in our Romans text speaks of the present time and the future. Or to put it another way, and this is, this is a little bit of, a, of a, a way we talk sometimes in the church, the already and the not yet, the present time and the future. And he puts them in contrast to each other in, in Romans 8 in our text. In verse 18, he contrasts the present time with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So that's the not yet. In verse 20, he contrasts the creation subjected to futility with the freedom of the children of God. In verse 24, he sets this time of waiting, as he calls it, in contrast to what we do not see. 
So in Romans 8 are all these contrasts that Paul is working with between the present time and the future or the already and the not yet. And this contrast is based on the Old Testament perception of two ages. There is the present age and the age to come. And this comes out very clearly with the prophets. They talk about the day or the time of God's judgment. There's a lot of talk about that in the prophets. They talked about the now of Israel's sin in captivity. They talked about uh, the, the present time of futility and ruin because of Israel's sin and God's judgment. But they also talked about the day of God's redemption, the future time of God's joyful, abundant life, the not yet of peaceful well-being, and the fullness of God's blessing. So, for example, the prophet Zephaniah speaks of the time of God's judgment. He says, A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom. The already for Israel. But at the end of his book, he speaks of another day, a day when the Lord is in the midst of his people. On that day, it will be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion, Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. He will, notice the tense, he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing as on a day of festival. So right there in Zephaniah, you have that present time and that looking forward to the future, the already, the not yet. For the Jewish people, this became their understanding of time. The prophets are reflecting the way Israel saw time, and they're also contributing and teaching Israel how to look at time. Two ages, the present age and the age to come. In the prophets, the Spirit of God fundamentally belongs to that coming day of God's salvation and redemption. The Spirit of God is talked about in the prophets and is linked to that coming day of God's salvation and redemption. In the book of Joel, the Lord says, And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. So when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost in our Acts reading, our first reading, upon the disciples of Jesus, Peter stood up and began his sermon with these words. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. He took those words from Joel, as is made clear in our reading. What Peter said created quite a stir among the Jewish people. You see, it's like saying, we've been looking forward to what what God will do, and then someone comes and says, it's happened, it's right now. It's something has begun. God's salvation has come into this world. So Peter created quite a stir among the Jewish people when he said the Holy Spirit had been poured out. The age to come had been inaugurated with the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the pouring out of the Spirit on Pentecost was the guarantee of its arrival. It's one thing to say something that that it's happened, it's here. It's another thing to have a guarantee, something that seals it, something that makes it very clear this is what it is, this is what's happened. The new day of God's salvation is broken into the present time even though God's redemption is not complete yet. A favorite, favorite figure for this in the New Testament is the dawn. I don't know if you got up this morning when I did. I woke up at about 4.16, unfortunately, <laughs> but uh, slept a little longer. And around 5, 5.30, I looked out the window, and the, the clouds were out. And, uh, you know, dawn is just breaking, but dawn, of course, is, you know, coming from the east, and I'm, our apartment faces the west. 
saw this beautiful rainbow. Did you, didn't you see that? It was amazing. From end to end, you could see the whole thing. In fact, when, where we looked, straight out, I showed Heidi, it looked like it was going straight up. But it really was just this huge arc um, that went around. And that's the kind of imagery that, or metaphor that the New Testament likes to use um, for talking about God's salvation breaking into this present time. It's the time when the light of the sun breaks over the horizon, but the darkness is still around. The dawn overlaps with the darkness. My favorite visible example that I like to use with people when I'm talking about this is you have the the present time, the old age, and the new, and they overlap. And and unfortunately, I don't have giant hands, so it's not real close to you, but but we live in that middle time in the overlap. And so that something's begun, it's broken in, and yet the old has not been completely uh, finished, removed. So we live in that overlap between the dawn, uh, of the dawn with the light coming in and the darkness still visible. Paul in Romans 8 relies on the prophets and this Jewish perception of the two ages. He's using that. He's relying upon that in what he says in Romans 8. Now, he does center it on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's key to you know, where this, this uh, beginning of the new, new time. But he relies on the prophets and this Jewish perception of two ages to teach the church. Jesus Christ has been raised, he has ascended on high, and he's poured out his Holy Spirit upon the church. The Holy Spirit's the guarantee, the pledge, the seal of the age to come. God's redemption of this world is sure and certain. And one way that we know that as a church is because the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon us. And we celebrate that. We must not forget that every year, all the time. The Holy Spirit has been poured out upon the church. We remember Pentecost in the church. God's redemption of this world is sure and certain, yet it's unseen. We must still wait for its completion. We're eagerly longing for that completion. And our reading today in Romans 8 speaks of groaning. The creation is groaning. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. The creation is being portrayed by Paul as a woman in the travail of giving birth, groaning, ready for the child to be born. It's a deep, resonating moan. The creation is not groaning because it's about to be destroyed. It's yearning for the completion of God's redemption that includes the creation. It's not just me as an individual It's not just us, but the creation is included in this completion of God's redemption. Now, there may be a tremendous upheaval. Some of the scripture really emphasize that upheaval to the point where we think that the old creation is just going to be blasted away. But that's a misunderstanding. We need to to hear that language along with the language of the creation being made new, the, uh, the old being made new that we get in scripture as well. There might be a tremendous upheaval, but our text says that God's redemption applies to the creation and not just to us. Now, this same groaning that Paul's talking about coming from the creation comes from within us as Christians. It's an inarticulate yearning, a longing for God's redemption to be complete, not just for the future, but for the past. This longing evades words. Now, I know we try very hard. We, we, the, theolo- the, the church works its theology so hard 
to put words to these kinds of things. But there's a point where it evades words. In the church, we cry out the words, Come, Lord Jesus. But there's so much more beneath those words than a simple appeal. There's also the weariness of the... Excuse me. There's also the weariness of the brokenness and sin of this world. Yet at the same time, these words are an anticipation of everything being made right and glorified by God. This yearning is a hope that rumbles deep within the Christian soul. So, in our groaning for God's redemption, what do we say to God? That yearning's there, the Holy Spirit's within us, the yearning's there. What do we say to God? I mean, what do we pray for? Because our text is very much about prayer, Romans 8. It's hard enough knowing what to say to others in this world, like I said at the beginning of the sermon. What do you say to them? What do you say to God? What do we pray for? What do you pray for when you can't see what you're praying for? A new and glorious redemption of this world that's never been seen before. Here in our text, Paul is not talking about what we pray for in terms of the present moment of our lives in this world. He's not, our, our prayers flow forth for the things we need to live in this present world. We pray for wars to stop and for good order and for acts of wickedness to stop. We pray for rain for the, the farms and food for our tables. We pray for work and aid for the poor. We pray for faith and more people to hear the gospel and to believe it. We pray for health and safety. But what do we pray for in terms of the future glory of God's redemption? Because that's what Paul's talking about in our text. What do we pray for there? What is God's will for our redemption? When will it be complete? How will it happen? What does does life look like in God's redeemed world? What is God's will for redemption? What do we pray for? Now, our text from Romans does not say that we do not know how to pray. Some versions of the Bible translate it this way. The ESV doesn't. It says, we do not know what to pray for. It's not how, it's what. It's not a matter of mechanics. How do you pray? Oh, well, you put your hands together, and hopefully all, we all learn this when we're young. you know. And I had to teach this class I taught of, um, I guess they were freshman, sophomore at the high school. <clears throat> Every year, it seemed like we would end up talking about well, I'd have them pray before we studied a text, and they wouldn't pray, they wouldn't enter prayers in Jesus' name or something like that. And I said, you know, your prayers could just be a Jewish prayer or a Muslim prayer. I mean, you need to make it a Christian prayer. They finally caught on to that. And so there are the mechanics of prayer, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, put your hands together. I don't quite know why we do that. I don't know that I always do that. Bow your head. That's a sign of deference, submission. But it says we do not know what to pray for. It's a matter of ignorance, not mechanics, ignorance. And this is not an idle matter. God's redemption should be the mold that forms our prayers. Otherwise, our prayers may very very well become shaped by the form of this present world with its selfishness and its own determination of what is good. And prayer, according to the mold of this present world, would have us pray for the decadent life of our culture, because that's the kind of culture we live in. Fast cars, big houses, more electronics, a luxurious lifestyle. Prayer, according to the mold of this present world, would have us pray for remade identities and the canceling of our responsibility for human life conceived in the womb. 
There's such a thing as prayer without redemption. Our prayers are to be in line with God's will for our redemption. But we don't really know what God's completed redemption will look like. And so questions come popping up in our lesson from Romans like fireworks on the 4th of July. What will the creation be like once it is set free from futility? Think about that. That's all we know. What will we be like completely freed from the presence of sin? Should we pray for this or should we pray for that? What do we pray for in the light of God's redemption yet to be revealed? One of my big, my own big questions is how will everything be set right in this world? All the cheating and deception and slander and exploitation and violence against each other, the humanity of, of its, its human uh, aggression. How will that be redeemed? <clears throat> or to make it maybe a little bit more focused, the murder of James Ricks, who was sitting in his car late on a summer night in 1967 in North Little Rock, Arkansas, when he was startled by tapping on his car window. Two criminals were fleeing a store that they just robbed, and their getaway car had broken down. So they happened upon James Ricks' car, and he was sitting in it. They stole his car, they killed him. And, and decades went by, decades went by, before his killers were brought to justice. The pair of criminals shot Ricks. He was a 27-year-old African-American father of a young daughter, and they locked him in the trunk of his car. In 2017, so just a few years ago, 50 years later, the FBI charged James Leon Clay, who was 20 at the time of the murder, and his brother, Leon Jr. Clay, for the murder. Their fingerprints were even in the car. Now, there's some justice, definitely, in solving the case, but how will such heinous acts be set right? How does this help James Ricks? Outrage has its place. We want to see those who commit crimes be held accountable. Killers should get what's coming to them. But how does God's redemption apply to this case? Redemption of a world as corrupted by sin as such as ours is beyond our comprehension. And thus we groan and yearn with hope. Progressivism looks to the future and promises to create policies that, that will give justice and help remake society in order to eliminate or at least greatly diminish human violence and tragedy and all these problems we create. But I always think about, with all that promise about what will be better for the next generations coming around, what about all those millions and millions Perhaps billions of people in the past. Do we just say, oh well? The best we seem to be able to do is expose to what happened and remember the victims. And that might make things better for us somehow, but what about the people who died before us? Do they not matter? How will things be made right for them? There's a huge difference between our progressivism and God's redemption. So often, our ignorance leaves us feeling helpless. What do we pray for? Well, we feel helpless, except we have the Spirit of God. Paul says, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Our lesson does not say the Spirit helps us to pray. That's not Paul's point here. I think the Spirit probably does help us pray, but he does help us pray. But that's not Paul's point here. Paul is saying the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And our weakness is being in this present age and being ignorant of God's completed redemption. 
The Holy Spirit is the point where the future glory of God's redemption and our present existence in this sinful world are brought together. And you might say the Spirit is that connecting point between the sufferings of this present time and the the glory that is to be revealed. The Spirit is right there. The Spirit of God comes within us and intercedes for us. We Christians have the Spirit of God within us. We do not know what to pray, but the Spirit does. How does the Spirit intercede for us? Well, Paul says with groanings, with with groanings too deep for words. And some readers of this text have connected the groaning of the Spirit with speaking in tongues. The Spirit's groaning comes out of our mouth as speaking in tongues. That's reading into the text. The Spirit's groaning comes from within us, but it is the Spirit's groaning which is different than our own. The Spirit's groaning is on our behalf. The Spirit prays for us because we do not know what to pray. And what the Spirit prays is beyond our ability to understand. So Paul calls it groanings. What would you call it? But it's fully understood by God. God hears these groanings coming from within us by his Spirit as our petitions and our requests. In spite of our weakness, not knowing what to pray for in regard to God's redemption, prayers are going up for us to God by the Holy Spirit. And they're not vain prayers, but prayers that are in line with God's will. All you are able to do is express your yearning and maybe some generalities about God's redemption, but the Spirit pours out the specific request to God for the redemption of this world. Without the Spirit, we don't have much to say. With the Spirit interceding for us, we can be sure that we do that what we do not know is being prayed for. It gives us a confidence in our prayers. And there's no suggestion here that we need to try to take hold of the Spirit's intercession for us and make it into some kind of special experience that we can have as Christians. What we can do is pray with confidence even though we don't know what we're praying for. In other words, our ignorance and weakness in prayer does not render our prayers ineffective which they would, it would otherwise. It really is an ineffective prayer by itself just to say to someone, you know, I pray you'll be happy. Okay, thanks. But when you have the Holy Spirit who is interceding and involved in that, it's not ineffective anymore. It may be a lack of words. It may be that we have that ignorance that we don't know what we're praying for, but the Holy Spirit makes it an effective prayer. We may fumble around for the right words. We may cry tears of frustration and express anger in our prayers. We may strain to speak to God about his redemption only to have a few simple words come out that we know are far from what need to be said. But the Spirit is communicating to God for us with the full vocabulary of God. Because you have the Spirit, pray towards the future of God's redemption. What I mean is don't limit your prayers to the present. It's very easy for us to be caught up with the present and the things that we need or we know that other people need right now, right here, just just living in this world, our health, our jobs, our tests, and so on. Do pray for these things. I'm not telling you not to pray for these things. Indeed, we are taught in Scripture to pray for the things we need daily. All I'm saying is don't limit your prayers to the present, to this present orientation. Our prayers should also look forward to the redemption of God. And we find this right there in the Lord's Prayer. It has that line in it, give us this day our daily bread. 
So we're to ask God for what we need in the present. But it also has the line, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's praying for redemption. As we see the conflict of the nations, we see one nation lift its arm against another, pray that they would throw their weapons on the ground in front of the king of heaven. When you see the land wasted with chemicals, pray that the creation will shine with the glory of God. When you hear the mockery of Jesus Christ, pray for more people everywhere to sing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. When you see the poor, pray for the abundance of the new life of God where no one will lack. When you learn of the horrible killing and abuse of people in the past, not just in the present, pray for God's justice and redemption to make these right. However that happens, that it will be made right. Most of the time, our prayers for God's redemption will be short and simple, but we will be praying with the Spirit, filled with hope that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Let us pray. Grant us, Lord, not to be anxious about things of this present age, but to love the things that are guaranteed us in the redemption of Jesus Christ. And even now, while we are placed among things that are passing away, grant us to hold fast to those that shall endure through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please stand and let us confess our faith with the Creed. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our hymn as we come to the Lord's table is number 336, Spirit, Strength of All the Weak.
Jesus assures us, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and will be in you. Wonderful promise of our Lord. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And thus, with those words of institution, the Lord set apart this meal and institutes it for the, uh, for the continued um, service in the church. Jesus took the bread and just, just passed it to his disciples, the same with the cup, and they together partook. We must be careful as we come to the Lord's table to understand that we are coming based on, what's, on what Christ has done for us. And we've confessed our sin, we've been assured of his forgiveness, and uh, heard the call to obedience. All of these things are part of us as we come to the Lord's table. This, this uh, meal is embedded in this worship, worship service. So we must come to the table understanding our responsibility of faith and love in him and dependence upon him for living a Christian life. We have received Christ as he makes himself known in scripture, sermon, and sacrament. And having again heard the voice of Christ in scripture and sermon, let us now come to his table and receive his gifts. All who have been baptized, who have publicly professed their faith, and are communicant members or belong to a Christian church are welcome to come and join us and share this joyful feast of our Lord. If that is not the case for you, you should stay back. We're glad you're here, but you should stay back until such time that those things are set right in your life as part of, as followers of Jesus Christ. Join with me now in giving thanks to God for his salvation and life for us in Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give you thanks and praise. We bless you and give thanks, O Lord of heaven and earth, our Heavenly Father, as your creatures in the company of the whole host of heaven who worship you, as we see and hear in Revelation 4 and 5, that worship in heaven, we praise you that we can join our worship with them of you through Jesus Christ. And as they say, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory, Hosanna in the highest. We repeat and echo their words here. We remember now your salvation in Jesus Christ, that he came as your servant and established your kingdom. He suffered and died as the perfect sacrifice for sinners. He was vindicated when you raised him from the dead. And being exalted to your right hand, he has poured out the Holy Spirit upon your church, thus beginning the new day of your salvation. We do make that confession of your church that Christ has died and Christ has risen and Christ will come again. Since your Holy Spirit has been given to your church, we ask you to use this bread and cup to feed and strengthen us in your grace as we remember Christ's death on the cross. And with this meal, may you... You keep us firmly in your salvation as we await the day when Christ will return and the new heaven and earth will be openly revealed. And we, along with your whole church, <clears throat> shall dwell with you forever. To you, Almighty God, who does reign over all, with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, be all honor and glory. And we offer our thanksgiving with one voice, saying, 
Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he also took the cup, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant sealed in my blood. As often as you, as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. <coughs>
said, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me will live because of me. Take and eat this bread and drink this cup and remember Christ's body and blood given for you. Receive it with faith and thanksgiving. Take and eat and drink. Let us pray. Faithful God who fulfilled the promises of Easter by sending us your Holy Spirit and opening to every race of men and women and nation the way of life eternal. Open our lips by your Spirit that every tongue may tell of your glory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our final hymn is the insert in bulletin, Holy Spirit, number 12.
Good morning. Can you believe it's June already? I just it struck me this morning is that we were um, crazy. Uh, a couple of announcements. We have a busy week uh, here at Providence this this week. Uh, obviously, we have the uh, Thursday Bible study here at the church. Uh, also, um, is it this Thursday, Denine? Yes. Where, where is it going to be at? At the church. So the just be aware that the women's prayer meeting will be here at the church, not at Deneen's place. Um, so uh, here at the church at 9 a.m. Um, also, uh, next Saturday is the reception uh, for Rebecca and Daniel Swanson over at Oakland Hills Church in Farmington Hills. If you need directions, please don't hesitate to ask. Most of us can can get you there one way or another. Um, And uh, also, uh, I know you are, I I was noting this, this smells really good here at the church today as the food's been cooking. Today is our fellowship meal. Uh, And if you're visiting, we would uh, love to have you stay and chat and get to know uh, the members and... and, uh, be, be part of our fellowship today, so please feel free to stay. Uh, and that's all I have by way of George. Yes. Um, as you may remember, uh, my brother Scott was admitted to a clinical trial at Carmanos um, last month, but that trial is not proving effective. Um, and so they were willing to be able to go down tomorrow and consult and decide whether they will even continue the treatment. So, um, it's hard, it's got some pain, but they're, they're peaceful. Um, just want to make a decision about going forward. So, pray for them, please. George, how is Tim? Hold on, let me, let me, one thing at a time. I'm, my primitive brain can't keep up. Uh, so, uh, for those who are listening, um, George was providing an update on his brother Scott, and uh, he, as you know, uh, as we've announced previously, he's been going, undergoing a trial, uh, treatment trial at Carmanos, and that treatment is not proving effective. Uh, and so, there is a meeting tomorrow, George, yes. t- tomorrow, George, uh, with regards to uh, whether or not they will continue on with that treatment. Uh, so please be in prayer for Scott uh, as we, as as they go through this. Becky, I'm not really up to speed in terms of you know what their what their conditions are actually like. I know more about Scott. I can tell you about that individually. If you want to talk about her? She's doing well. Okay. I think she she has. I think I don't think it's monthly, but she has regular treatments um, that um, that help her and she seems to be doing good. Um, I talked to them on Memorial Day they were to have an appointment Tuesday for Scott and come around and he wasn't even sure and he's having business and, and he doesn't want her to drive but he drove to Memorial Church and one of the deacons drove down the rest of the way to 
out there in good spirits. But this is a crucial juncture, it seems. Because the cancer, sex cancer is really pushing. So Tammy um, is is every day in every way she's getting better and better. Um, that's a lot from a pink pantry. I'm sorry. Now you kind of yeah. So No, I don't see that. Tell us about that. Yeah, right. I shouldn't be doing comedy while I'm reporting on my wife's health. Well that's your wife. So She's doing much better. The problem is, for instance, and this is kind of Friday, oh, I got a good day. And then Saturday, the red down. And so with, with the COVID, then comes seasonal allergies, which are worse because you've been through COVID. So, but I expect you here next week. I'm hoping, yeah. So, thanks. Can I ask for some um, prayer? I, I Okay, let me try to catch up. It's a lot. Um, so uh, there was a question to George with regards to um, Tammy uh, and Becky, I think. Um, Becky is Scott's wife, um, who also has been undergoing multiple sclerosis. Uh, and so uh, apparently she seems to be doing well in, in supporting Scott through this. Um, and uh, they seem to be in good spirits, but really this week uh, is going to be hard, uh, some, some decisioning and some hard, hard thought and, and so forth, so they definitely would ask for your prayers. Um, then uh, Linda Johnson uh, mentioned that her friend Angela uh, is um, uh, undergoing, uh, has been undergoing cancer treatment, and... Uh, uh, just continued prayer for that situation. Yes, a big, the big abdominal. She's going to be having a big abdominal surgery, and then um, so be in prayer for Angela. And then also, Linda asked that if you would pray for her neighbor Kevin, who has been having some uh, issues with his leg, and it's been over, extended over like 13 years. Uh, and he asked that we might pray for him as a congregation. So, hopefully, I covered that okay. Um, the session, I have two announcements from the session meeting um, that we had yesterday. You'll remember that we asked that you would be in prayer for the session meeting, but uh, we are going to be making some changes to how we serve communion. How we are currently serving communion is, was kind of a temporary measure as we were navigating through COVID, especially when it was first, uh, first uh, uh, came on to us. Uh, and what we're looking to do is we're going to be setting up uh, two tables, one in either side, and then uh, allowing the congregation to come down the center aisle and then partition and split out that way. Uh, but the main reason we're doing that is we want to get back to 
uh, taking the elements or, or celebrating from the single table up at the up at the top here, up at the on the main floor here, so that it will be all done or all set up on the the main communion table, and then we will take it down to the other table. So uh, we felt that this is kind of uh, kind of this nice compromise. Not, it, compromise isn't the right word, but. Uh, we like some of the elements of what we're doing now, uh, but at the same time, we don't like the separation that we have between the two tables. So putting the two tables out and then drawing from or, or pointing to the main communion table, we're eating from one loaf, we're drinking from one cup, is important to, to signify what we're doing from a communion perspective. So uh, that's a change that will be coming as soon as we can get things set up here. Um, also, uh, we're, uh, Pastor Jeff is going to be finishing up his study on uh, the Reformed tradition and digging deep into it. And uh, I think it's three weeks out? Well, two Sundays from now. I'm not really finishing. It's just there's a new unit. But yes, two Sundays from now would start. Two Sundays from now. So three, three weeks out, right? Because I'd say two weeks. But... Okay, all right. Well, two weeks. Sometime <laughs> we'll be. I, I have the calendar, and we'll we'll make more announcements later. Uh, but we're we're going to be um, switching or picking up. Uh, John Calvin wrote a little book called The Christian Life. Actually, it's an excerpt out of the Calvin's Institutes, and it's a wonderful section of the di- different dimensions of living the Christian life. Uh, so we're going to be using that as our Sunday study throughout throughout the summer. So, and the elders will be primarily teaching it. I think Jeff will take uh, one of the sections uh, that we'll be covering as well. But the elders will be teaching that uh, over uh, over the summer. You want us to go buy the book? No, you don't have to go buy the book. Okay. Unless you want to. Okay. All right, uh, if there's nothing else, we can go ahead and dismiss, and uh, we will uh, pray for the meal as soon as it's ready, and we'll go from there. It is nice out.